Welcome to the Chaldean News Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Binu, with the Chaldean News. With us today is one of the co-founders of the Chaldean News, Martin Manna. Martin, thanks for being on here with us. Are you kidding? It's such an honor. Thank you for having me, Omar. Of course, uh, for the readers of the Chaldean News, uh, it's now in its 15th year. Um, The first issue came out back in March of 2004. And Martin was one of the, uh, as, as I said, he was one of the co-founders of the newspaper. And Martin, I, th- I think that, you know, it would be good for the readers to know what prompted, you know, the, the whole idea of the Chaldean News. What, what, you know, what, what initiated the vision to, to you know, produce the, the magazine? Well, with several things, Omar, I think people, um, you know, at that time, there wasn't really a clear uh, media platform for the community that people can go to and uh, learn uh, about the community, its culture, uh, the contributions individuals in the community were making. Uh, and so there, there was a void. I mean, it was a time uh, during the same time frame is when uh, the Shenandoah was being built. It's when uh, the Chaldean American Chamber of Commerce was being launched. Uh, it's when the idea came about to uh, start the Bank of Michigan um, and personally, I was involved with Mike Saroff and Tony Antone and a company called Interlink Media that was doing some ad placement. And so we saw some other ethnic medias, uh, publications out there. And one struck us, uh, which was the Jewish News that said, you know, we'd like to create something similar to this. At the same time, Vanessa Dinhagarma would, you know, had a similar idea. And so we fused the two ideas and created the Chaldean News. Okay, great. And, and of course, you know, it's the, the news has been growing uh, ever since then. And, you know, it's produced some great content. And, um, you know, what, of course, recently we had the, um, the acquisition by the, the Chaldean Foundation uh, of the paper. What, you know, what, what promulgated that? Uh, There was an opportunity really more than anything. I think the Chaldean News, um, you know, the print industry in general um, has had a lot of stress, uh, mainly because of the changing world where there's a lot more uh, social media and digital platforms that are being offered. And so there there was some, some talk about the publication being purchased by other individuals in the community. Uh, but the best um, opportunity came through a partnership with the Chaldean Community Foundation. The original owners wanted to give back to the community, so uh, a valuation was set on the publication, and uh, about half of what the value was was donated back to the Chaldean Community Foundation. So it wasn't a huge financial burden on the organization, but also to create um, more opportunity. You know, we could talk about issues, issues relating that'll directly impact the community. One example of that is like the upcoming census. And so having a, a publication that is owned by a nonprofit uh, allows you to do more issue-oriented work within the community. And uh, so we have a development team that, for example, that's writing grants so that we can help educate the general community about the importance of the upcoming census. We also have more resources through the Chaldean Community Foundation so we can improve upon the digital platform, how we're going to uh, be pushing out these stories. And then we also wanted to focus on 
getting more of the community involved. We've created an editorial board that meets monthly that comes up with story ideas. We really wanted to engage our church and have had a regular column now every month from one of our priests. We've also uh, wanted people to know what others are saying about us throughout the world. We've created the Chaldean Reader's Digest. Well, you could you could see uh, firsthand what other publications or other media sources throughout the world are saying about the Chaldean community. Uh, but a lot of it is to drive better content and then use that content on multiple platforms. So platforms like the Chaldean News TV, CNTV, you know, we file, we um, have merged or sorry we've created a partnership with keeping up with the chaldeans and uh, they're doing a phenomenal job of interviewing individuals in the community so we're taking some of that content every month in the publication there'll be a highlight of some of the interviews that they've had uh, this is our first uh, chaldean news radio podcast so again multiple platforms but really talking about the content today is more of an introduction on all the great things happening at the chaldean news future podcasts will will showcase some of the articles and or the people that we're profiling uh, in the publication sure uh earlier you alluded to uh you know covering some issues uh which is one of the reasons why the foundation picked up the paper uh, would these be like social issues, economical issues? What what type of issues are we looking at? Well, census is one example. I mean, we, we are also going to be talking about um, health-related issues, you know, issues that really impact the community uh, on a social level, on a, you know, if, if it impacts their health. Um, we're also providing more advice from mothers, for example, but we have a rotating column um, from physicians in our community, which has always been part of the paper. I think we just want to be more dedicated uh, strictly to uh, certain types of, of advice and columns to have a more healthier, prosperous community. Um, and so when we talk about those things, you know, there's also, for example, the foundation re- recently received a grant about tobacco cessation. And many people don't know that there's um, a, a lot of abuse of, um, of tobacco use. Uh, it, it's more prevalent in Middle Eastern communities and mainly with vaping and hookah use uh, within the young community. So we just hosted a town hall meeting uh, through the Chaldean Community Foundation, but we're also going to be profiling this story in the next issue. So not it's not only the 150 young kids that attended it, but now we could push it out uh, through the thousands of people that read the Chaldean News and also through uh, our digital platform. So it's no longer just a few hundred people uh, coming to an event and hearing about uh, different educational um, issues, but Matt, rather, rather, how can we push it out so it's, re- it's reaching tens of thousands of people, whether it's through radio, TV, digital uh, distribution, uh, or even through our social media. And earlier you uh, also said, uh, you know, that the Chaldeans around the world could basically voice, you know, how they feel about the Chaldean news or, or their, you know, their perception or slash perspective. Um, how would they do that? Is there a section in the news that's going to be dedicated specifically for that where they can write in or how, how would that work? Yeah. So the Chaldean digest really is, is us just taking uh, different uh, pieces of um, news that have been already written about the community. So for example, the last few issues, there's been a lot of talk about deportation. So we highlighted an article from the New York times, the Boston globe, um, the Chicago tribune, just to give you some examples. We sure. are also 
you know, had the Catholic Register talk about Patriarch Sacco's comments recently. Uh, we had Rudal, which is a Kurdish um, a news outlet, talk about what's happening in northern Iraq. And so we're just um, summarizing some of the news clips that have, have been um, issued or, or have been printed throughout the world about the Chaldean community. And then we do seek reader engagement. I think one of the things that you you heard earlier is is we have an editorial board. We're trying to grow it. We want it to be a, a diverse board that's fully representative of our community. And so different age groups, different genders, different part regions of our community, you know, east, west, whatever it might be, you know, uh, whether it's professionals or entrepreneurs or mothers, um, so that that's how we're trying to become more inclusive. And then there is opportunities online as you read our articles to share those articles, but also to comment on them. And uh, so there's there's also ways that uh, readers can share story ideas through info at chaldeannews.com. So again, uh, there's multiple ways to get more people engaged and involved, and we do want reader uh, interaction and, and frankly, some suggestions from from those uh, supporting and reading the publication. Sure, and and of course, you know, um, as again, as you mentioned earlier, and and as is you know quite apparent, um, everything is becoming so digitized, you know, in this modern day and age. Um, how can we? What are what are the goals of the Chaldean News in terms of adapting to that? What you know? What are some of the things that uh, you know? Would, would happen or, you know, can happen in the future because of this whole digitization thing? Yes, so, so because we're a monthly, there's a few things that we're working on. Uh, we're trying to become more active with our social media. You know, we have uh, tens of thousands of followers on social media. And uh, so we want to provide current information or current news uh, on some of our social media postings. Uh, the second part of this is we have a weekly e-newsletter, again, to keep um, uh more relevant, more topical issues um, front of mind to our readers. So that that's the second way. Uh, and then besides that, all of our uh, efforts really have been on content. So we are firm believers that if you have good content, uh, people will want to read it, whether it's through the print. So we have uh, a population that still wants the paper delivered to their homes and calls us every month and making sure that that's uh, they're a subscriber and getting the paper every month delivered to their homes or at various newsstands. But we also have more than 10,000 readers online. So our website allows people at chaldeannews.com just to click on the issue and they could read it as if they're flipping through the pages. We're working on uh, another platform, which we will be unveiling early next year, in which those that are subscribers will get a push notification where the uh, publication will be directly either emailed to them or sent to their mobile device so they could read through it just like they would any other publication um, on their um, you know, smartphones or, or other types of mobile devices. Great. And, you know, in terms of the uh, Chaldean News TV and Chaldean News Radio, um, I guess, is it safe to assume that, you know, these these will also be, uh, con- you know, continually developed and, and, you know, built upon as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, as you are aware, we, and I think people should know this, we've formed an alliance with you, Omar, so that we can have, 
a multiple podcasts every month that we could share with our readers. So this is an intro podcast talking about what we're doing at the Chaldean News and the future of the publication. But future segments, will you'll be able to profile some of the people that um, will be in the in the publication. So, you know, when you write a news story, you're usually a one or two page story and it captures some of what people are doing. But when you are able to interview them either through television or radio really gives you a more in-depth analysis of who those people are and what they're working towards uh, rather than just a um, a quick article that that, uh, you know you could read uh, in a short amount of time so there is a lot of efforts from our organization to make sure that we build these platforms so that they're it's useful information and it's good entertainment too all at the same time that's why we brought in people like you and why we formed an alliance with the with keeping up with the Chaldeans, so we could take content that's in multiple places within the community and try to bring them to one single source. Sure. And of um, what about in, like frequency? Do you do you anticipate that growing? You know, in the future? Because I know right now, obviously, it's a monthly publication. Um, is it something that could potentially turn into biweekly, weekly? And it's really not on the radar at this point. Uh, and I think, you know, one of the things we're doing, again, is promoting the weekly newsletter and sure. um, radio, TV, and also social media. So although the publication comes out once a month, you are going to get um, additional uh, news stories just through our, our, our ability to uh, distribute them through uh, the various platforms that we've created. Yeah. And I would, you know, I would say that that's, that's probably more fruitful just because, uh, again, as we said earlier, you know, everything's becoming so digitized, um, that, and, and information is being disseminated so fast and things are happening so quickly that, um, you know, it's just faster to, to get on the air via radio or TV and report those, uh, you know, those stories or those situations rather than, uh, print as well. Yeah, so print, you know, because it's monthly, you're really just profiling uh, people more than anything and reporting on past news events or uh, um, just want to promote upcoming events. When you're on radio and TV, you could talk about more current events, right? Absolutely. And the other thing, too, uh, you know, that that I would say is that, um, uh, you know, it's it's just – that's just the direction that people are headed. I mean, social media really uh, is the biggest platform, you know, in the world right now. And even news stations uh, and, and newspapers like local newspapers, for example, the Detroit News, I know I had read a while ago, you know, were struggling with print because it's just everything is so social media now. I mean, even the news stations are constantly on social media posting their stories, you know, rather than their website because that's just where everything's happening. It's either uh, online, you know, or uh, radio, uh, you know, podcasts. Yeah. People are going to gravitate to whoever it's, it's most convenient to them. Right. Especially in this, you know, age of technology where it's pretty much, you know, a done deal. It's pretty much taken over. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, I think it's a great thing. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely anticipate a lot of great things, uh, to come with the Chaldean news. I think the, the uh, editorial board is a great, you know, great idea. And hopefully that, you know, we can build on content, uh, you know, from that as well as uh, what we encounter and hear on a daily basis as well, you know, throughout the community and from what we have here from social media. 
Yep, and I think we're trending in the right uh, way. I mean, we've gotten a lot of positive feedback from our readers. And, um, you know, again, it's all really about engagement. We want uh, people more engaged, more supportive, more um, willing to share, you know, their personal stories. And, you know, that's, that's the direction we're taking with the Chaldean News. Martin, thanks a lot for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Omar. And Sharon Hanawa will join us next. All right, back with us on the podcast here today are Sharon Hanawa and Sue Katula from the Chaldean Community Foundation. Welcome to the Chaldean News Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Omar. Thank you, Omar. I'm glad to be here this morning. So the Chaldean Community Foundation has been expanding exponentially over the last couple of years. Um, I, you know, tell us when, when did the foundation start? Uh, what, you know, what prompted it to start and, you know, how long have you guys been, each of you, how long have you been with the foundation? So the foundation started back in 2006 and it is the not-for-profit arm of the Chaldean American Chamber of Commerce. And uh, the foundation, one of the leading initiatives of the foundation was the Wad Murad Advocacy Fund. So family members of um, Wad Murad had donated money to the organization. A fund was named after him. And that fund was created to be able to provide reward money, you know, for information that leads to the arrest and conviction of assailants of violent crimes, you know, perpetrated against, you know, Chaldean business people. And then in 2007, there was a large influx of Iraqi refugees that started coming to Southeast Michigan. So as a community, we wanted to be proactive um, as opposed to reactive, you know, to the needs of this population. So we started, you know, with a mental health program, and that was uh, because we wanted to help people, you know, break that stigma that people have with mental health. And so that's initially how the foundation started. And at that time, I was a board member of the Chaldean American Chamber of Commerce. And mm-hmm. so I had resigned uh, from the board and taken a position with the organization back in 2010. So I've been with them for nine years now. Great. Um, and I, yes. And I also came to the foundation actually um, in the uh, behavioral health area. I run a program called Breaking Barriers, and uh, it started in October of 2012, and I joined the team um, uh, the following year in 2013. And so, Sue, you would be the case manager for uh, Breaking Barriers, right? I'm actually the program manager. Okay. Uh, for breaking barriers, which is the um, uh, it provides uh, assistance and advocacy for individuals with special needs and uh, respite to their caregivers. And Sharon, you're you would you're the uh, ma- manager for the the entire foundation. Well, I'm a program manager for one of the programs here. So the program that I manage is the Refugee Acculturation Sustainability and Training Program. So the majority of the services offered by the foundation fall under that program. And I was um, one of the originals 
that had started the office. So we started off very small. It was um, myself and two other case managers. And then we also had a privately funded program that was with us at that time, uh, which is Project Bismutha, which uh, means healing in Aramaic. Mm-hmm. And that provides individuals that are uninsured access to health care. So there were two individuals that were a part of that program at the time. And then um, as the time passed, uh, the team grew and uh, the space that we needed also grew. And um, in our first fiscal year, we thought we would service about 400 individuals and we ended up servicing 4,000. And, um, you know, back in 2015 in November, we had moved into our new facility, which was, you know, almost 12,000 square feet. And our team has grown now to 42 in eight and a half years. Excellent. And so how many programs total does the foundation have? Well, as far as uh, the programs, I can, you know, let you know the types of services that we offer here um, through the programs. So we offer ESL classes and we do that in partnership with Macomb Community College. We also offer immigration services. So we help individuals apply for lawful permanent resident status and to become naturalized citizens. And in order to help them do that, we will also offer naturalization courses. So that's instruction and preparation for that uh, class. We also offer career services. So we'll provide job search training, placement, resume writing. We also have computer learning classes. So we teach people uh, basic computer skills. We also do a lot of uh, cultural competency training. So we want to dispel stereotypes that individuals may have about the community or that they may have about refugees and immigrants in general. So we will either go out um, in the community to provide those or bring people here to do that. Uh, we have privately funded programs, like one is the uh, Chaldean Loan Fund, which provides low interest rate loans to individuals to be able to purchase a vehicle at a low interest rate. I had also mentioned uh, Project Bismutha prior, um, which provides, you know, reduced cost healthcare to those without medical insurance that are Iraqi Christians. We also have academic and endowed scholarship programs. So we provide financial assistance for uh, students to help meet the cost of education. And then um, we have programs such as Giving Hearts, the John Lucia Cancer Fund that um, provides money for those to help alleviate the financial distress that they have related to medical care. And then Sue can discuss um, what's really fueling the expansion. So like I mentioned, uh, you know, we are expanding and we're adding an additional 20,000 square feet uh, to expand on the Breaking Barriers program, which Sue can let you know about um, that center. Great. Sue, tell us a little bit about the Breaking Barriers program. Uh, so the uh, Breaking Barriers, um, we started noticing when we were servicing people that many of the families that were coming in were mentioning that they had a um, uh, 
uh, I don't want to say disabled person, but a cognitively or or um, an intellectual disability family member at home. So many of the many of the obstacles that they were families were facing, or many of the things that they were facing, is that um, many of these individuals never left their home, and they didn't have access to many services. They didn't realize that many of them can still go to school. Michigan is just one of the states. Um, in the United States that offers um, special ed education to individuals till age 26. And that is unique to Michigan. So as we started um, doing some home visits and visiting some of these families, we were identifying members of the family that had special needs and started to service them. And many times it was just reaching out to resources. One thing that we did realize early on was that many of them actually didn't really um, go out into the community or go to any kind of family events. They've always, families always kind of kept the individual at home or thought it was just too much work uh, for them to go out into the community or go to a social event. So we created these um, uh, monthly, uh, you could say, um, just uh, uh, recreationally. recreational themed events, events activity yeah. events for families. And they've been very successful. We get over 200 individuals that um, do come uh, to these events. And they're more than just coming and having a party and, you know, being happy. They're more of really understanding members of the community, coming out into the community, being around crowded rooms, um, making friendships. Uh, and uh, we notice now that many of the many of the students or many of the clients um, see each other from school. They um, now are friends at school and then they see each other at the events and their family have become friends and they share resources. And one important thing too is we try to have an educational, uh, um, a little ed educational activity when you have these events for the non-disabled person in the family. And um, we often have um, a lot of resources available to the families. And you've, that really- you've also, um You've also partnered up with uh, outside, like external organizations, state organizations, to uh, to further enhance the program and to offer more services, right? Yeah. So, um, along with just the intellectual disa uh, disabled person, we also uh, found that we had uh, many members of the community that had a physical disability. Um, we found. Um, many people that were deaf and blind in the community that uh, kind of because of their lack of English or l lack of uh, literacy, I guess that you could say when it comes to the deaf, uh, that they weren't really able to get the full benefits of these organizations. So yes, we fully, um, we have hundreds of organizations that we partner with depending on the disability. If you're blind, we partnered up with the Bureau of Services for Blind Persons. So we offer a lot of support to them as they uh, continue to service the clients. And um, with our deaf, we have many members of the community. Um, we have a, a sign language interpreter that actually we started a program here at the foundation that is also unique because um, uh, because they, we did not find one. And what it is, is we had many members of the community that were deaf, uh, that were also illiterate. So it wasn't really possible to teach American Sign Language um, when you're teaching someone American Sign Language to fingerspell if you're not literate in English. So we created a program called ESL-ASL. So as you're learning English, they're also learning American Sign Language. 
and hundreds of more organizations uh, for Down syndrome and cerebral palsy and um, many of the organizations that we work with every day. And um, also the school districts have been really great. We attend many IEP meetings and many um, special ed uh, meetings with families and not just to, you know, um, advocate, but to also really um, help families really understand the school system. So Sharon mentioned earlier, um, and we can expand on this a little bit before we close, uh, that the the expansion of the center is largely, uh, you know, due to or dedicated to the Breaking Barriers program. What is that going to entail? So, yes, the expansion is going to be 18,000 square feet and also to um, just by understanding um, in, in one portion of it, uh, Sharon will talk about uh, the clinic and the um, uh, mental health side of it. Uh, I could talk in, in the area of, we really noticed that many of the families um, were lacking a lot of the life, life skills. And life skills could be as simple as just going out into the community, going to a grocery store, um, you know, going to a bank. Uh, so we wanted to create um, a center where um, the members of the, the family members, the disabled person can actually come out and practice, practice those life skills. So um, many of the activities that we do on a daily basis, um, you know, uh, that are necessary for uh, independent living at home in the community, like personal hygiene, dressing, eating, maintaining, um, uh, you know, helping a person that's disabled, uh, many of the other act, many of the other things we wanted to do also in the life skills center is independent activities of daily living. Uh, one thing we did notice with many of the students that were blind is that they always had a family member that attended everything with them to actually help them guide them. And it's been a few years into the program, and every single one is very independent. They use the public transportation system. They come here by themselves. So we did notice many of those. Um, independent activities, life skills, really help them out. Um, they use, the, like I said, transportation, they prepare meals, they go shopping, housework, they manage their medication, um, they manage their personal finances, and they go out and have a lot of leisure activities. A lot of the other life skills we wanted to also expand in the center is um, a lot of occupational, um, uh, let's say job development skills. So inside the center, we're going to have kind of like a main street area and we are going to have a bank and a uh, barbershop, a cafe and a grocery store. And nice. um, yes, and those are um, a few of the major areas that uh, on a weekly basis, our community um, you know, goes out to. So we have many ideas on how to prepare members of the community, um, especially those with disabilities, um, to be able to function and uh, be a part of uh, the community. I've, I, I often um, see people that will say to me, um, he doesn't look disabled. And so what's happened lately is with autism, it's not visible. So many people don't really if they don't see the disability on the outside, they don't understand um, uh, autism. And so uh, with autism, it's, it's different than other disabilities and they actually are outliving their parents. So uh, people don't realize when 
when someone has a physical disability or a disability that they're born with that sometimes they pass away before the parents and with autism they're living a lot longer and so these skills are very important um to so to have. when can we um when can we expect to this this you know the expansion to the center uh to be completed and it sounds like because it sounds like you know really there's so much more to discuss and this is just the tip of the iceberg but for now when would when can you know clients expect the expansion to be completed Yep. So we're expecting the expansion to be completed. We're hoping to be in there by May of 2020. And um, so the mission as well and why we've grown as quickly as we have is we really wanted to improve the stability, health, and wellness of those that we serve through the advocacy, acculturation, community development, and cultural preservation sure. um, that we do. So this, you know, is an expansion now as opposed to, you know, when we do our intake process and we uncover additional needs as opposed to, you know, referring, you know, somebody outside of the organization, you know, we're able to refer them, you know, down the hall uh, because we're going to offer on-site mental health services um, as well. And we're going to have a primary care clinic in partnership with Ascension. And for those that are insured, um, uninsured, and underinsured. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the uh, Chaldean News Radio Show. And we're going to definitely look forward to uh, many more interviews and hearing more about the different programs. Because like I said, I think this is just the tip of the iceberg. So well, thank, thank you, you so much for having us.